0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the Hebrews. We thank you for the way it's encouraged so many to go on looking to Jesus and to continue living for him. And we pray that over these next few weeks, by your Spirit, you will do that work of encouragement in us, both as individuals, but also as a community. And we ask it for your glory's sake. Amen. What do you think these words describe? Weariness, drift, neglect, fall short, loose hold, dull, sluggish, immature, loose heart. Or well, maybe it's how you feel about your football team at the end of the season. Well, Strangely, they're all used to describe the church to which this letter was sent. Well, I wonder how you might feel about these words describing the community of St John's. Of course, you might say they're a bit kinder than some words we've heard used. I think this wouldn't be a bad description of how we're feeling after the last four months weary about supporting the children's education, neglectful of the exercise regime we started with such gusto, uh, dull as we look to the future. But I think it could also be a very good description of how we're feeling about our Christian lives and about church at the moment. After all we've lost our regular patterns of meeting together. Maybe we've neglected our bible times. And so We're drifting in what we believe. Well, you're in the right place this morning if that is you. This letter is written to people just like us, weary, drifting, sluggish in our faith, losing heart with the church and maybe even with the gospel. And over these next few weeks, we're going to be encouraged. Encouraged that it is worth going on. It's worth sticking with Jesus, it's worth having confidence in the future. And that's true because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then in uh, chapter 12 and verse 2, we're encouraged to run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So author begins here at the end of chapter 10. By saying to them, look back, look back to when things were far worse. As you stuck with Jesus in the past, as you stuck with Jesus in the past, Now, in Hebrews, when our author uses we language, it's used in warning passages like the famous chapter six. You passages are invariably passages of encouragement. So verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. He wants to encourage them by the fact that they held on to Jesus through these difficult days, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, for how long this lasted, Uh, we're not told. But these hard struggles and sufferings appear to have begun very soon after, they were enlightened after they turned to Christ. The word reproach is the word most commonly used for persecution in the New Testament and always involves an outsider. Affliction is all about being exposed to ridicule or mockery. Partners, yes, together, fully supporting and sympathising with one another. And during those years, our author says they endured. And that's a great word. It means stayed on the battlefield, didn't run away. It means kept in the athletic contest. Some of you will remember Muhammad Ali against George Foreman in 1974 and Ali's rope-a-dope tactic when he just stood there and took punch after punch after punch from George Foreman. But he endured those punches and went on to win the rumble in the jungle. And here we discover Why they kept going. End of verse 34. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What awaits them is a better possession, a great reward. So you see, following Jesus has brought struggle with suffering. While in the midst of it, they kept going because they knew that what Jesus offered was far better than anything Judaism could offer, let alone their old pagan religion. And Hebrews asks us the question, who or what can be better than Jesus? If, as Hebrews tells us, the answer is not even the God-given sacrifices of the old covenant, then how pointless to consider what is off on offer from any shrine or any no gods, They were certain of what lay ahead. They held on to the promise. Mockery and prison were worth enduring because of all that Jesus guaranteed. And we understand the same principle, don't we? When we're battling with our stitch in the path run, Parkrun, we determine to get to the end. As we head back to the desk for more revision, we're determined to pass the exam. As we do all to keep our marriage together, we are determined to save it. What awaits is better. That's what we're striving for, and we'll put up with the pain along the way. Jesus is the best. So because of all he has done for us, because of all he has promised us, we'll follow their good example and stick with Jesus through the tough times. As you start with Jesus in the past, stick with Jesus now and gain the future. That's our second heading. Stick with Jesus now and gain the future. Given that they did well, when things were tough, what has changed? Now, today, our author says to them, recall the former days. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, for you have need of endurance. If the tough times are over, and those previous verses were all in the past tense, why do they now have need of endurance? Well, how easy it is for them to think, Now things are easier. Now we can relax. You see, when you're under pressure, when your property might be confiscated or trashed, when you might be thrown into prison at any moment without warning, then you're on your guard. Then you cannot relax. But when the clenched fist of threat has become the open palm of welcome, they we might find it all too easy to drop our guard to relax. This is the uh, teacher who is always ill in the holidays. This is the carer who collapses when the relative recovers. This is the team that relaxes when it gets ahead and then finds it can't get back to doing what it was doing to win the game. This then is what the recipients of the letter have done. They eased off, their guard is down. And so our writer says to them: get back to doing the will of God. That is, trusting his promise. Making sure that your confidence is in Jesus. Our author then turns to A quotation, he puts together some verses from Habakkuk and from Isaiah. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Habakkuk seeks to wake Israel up to the reality of God's coming day of judgment. Isaiah emphasises the difference between the earthly Jerusalem under God's judgment and the heavenly Jerusalem to which the righteous, the faithful will be going. And that New Jerusalem theme is picked up in this letter in chapters 11, 12 and 13. Now, the readers are the righteous, they're, they're believers. But, verse 39, some are in danger of shrinking back from the life of faith. What is required of them, what's required of us, is faithfulness that God who has called us faithfulness to his word of promise so let's make sure we're not fooled by the open palm and the welcome let's not be drawn into thinking that we are safe that this world our society poses no threat the wolf may now look like grandma but he's still a wolf and he's still out to get you. The mainstream denominations in this country have simply followed the culture of our world. They've done what Prime Minister David Cameron wanted when he said to those of us opposed to women becoming bishops that we should get with the programme. So will we Leave behind what the Bible says about sexuality and gender. Will we drop the divisive teaching that Jesus is the only way to God? Well, if we will, then all will be well. We shall be welcomed with open arms. We shall have our place at the table. We're all friends now. We really value your contribution. Thank goodness you've been reasonable. And accept it and give and take. And so all too easily, we shrink back from key Bible truths for the sake of this mythical wider unity. We can shrink back too because we're weary of the battle. Weary, as I know some of our guys are, of their place at Deanery Synod, being the odd one, odd ones out in those meetings. Maybe you feel the same thing about your work prayer meeting. And we shrink back because we're dry, because we haven't been meeting together, and we've grown sluggish in our devotions. We're no longer able to speak for and about and as Jesus as clearly as we once did, and we're wondering whether he really is who he says he is. How easily We forget that we're involved in a culture war. And in this war, culture wins this side of Jesus' return. And so we drift. And the great thing about drifting is that it is so easy. Just going with the flow of our denomination and its leadership. Going with the flow of society. It's as though we're travelling on an escalator. One well, of those moving walkways at an airport. We're being carried along. No effort is required on our part at all. But of course, we're being taken to where the escalator, where the walkway is going. And if we continue, we can only end up where culture wants us rather than where Christ wants us. And the warning about that is there in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Destroyed or receiving Jesus' better possession, his great reward. So you see, this is no time for relaxation, no time for weariness to win, regardless of what other voices may be saying to us, regardless of what the, uh, the voice in our head is saying to us. Rather than drifting, rather than shrinking back, our author tells us in chapter 2 and verse 1, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. That word, the promise of Jesus, will keep us for this glorious future, the heavenly city. So, as you stuck with Jesus in the past, stick with Jesus now and gain the future, knowing that God's word is enough. That's our third heading knowing that God's word is enough. The faith we need to have is the faith which puts the word of God before this world. And gives more weight to what is invisible than what is visible. We hope for things we cannot see, the great reward, the heavenly city, and we are convinced about what we cannot see. Jesus sacrifice, dying on the cross for us. And the future is assured because we have the promise of God's words. Verse 1 of chapter 11, our faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And that's why those who've gone before us are such a great encouragement and a great example. Those we're going to meet in chapter 11 over the next few weeks have done just this and we will rejoice in their faithfulness and seek to follow their example. And the principle we're following is the principle laid out in verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What we can see, the world around us and all the uh, the things in uh, this room and the room you're uh, sitting in at the moment, was created by God's words. The two halves of the verse work together. They tell the same story. The universe was created by the word of God, so that what's seen was not made out of things that are invisible. The visible world has an unseen origin. The tangible world which we experience has an unseen origin, which may only be perceived by faith. Chapter 11 will tell us that God is invisible. In chapter 1, we heard about his word, which is also invisible. And the writer attributes to faith the power to recognise the unseen God as the maker of the visible world. And that's the principle we apply to the creation of the world, which we apply to the whole of our lives, to our interaction with this world. The word proves to be more substantial, more real than whatever we can hear, touch or experience. Now, we cannot see electricity, but we're grateful for its heat and its light. We cannot see the wind, but we're grateful for the explanation, exploration it, it uh, enabled centuries ago and for the, uh, the wind farms today. today, across the world. We are reeling from the effects of the invisible COVID-19 virus. It's out and about, it's there in the streets, it's been in the hospitals and the care homes, and of course I do know you can see it with a microscope. This is the principle we are called to live by, called to hold fast to, called to put our confidence in. And we'll see great examples of that over the next few weeks. This then is the faith response to our lives, to our presence and to our futures. It challenges what makes a successful life. It challenges us as to what is the most substantial thing in our lives. How tempted we might say, oh, it's a relationship. Oh, it's at my house. Oh, it's my job. No, the most substantial thing. For those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus is his word and his word of promise. That's why knowing God's word is enough. Weariness in continuing, drift, neglect, fall short, lose hold, dull, sluggish, immature, lose heart. Words that we don't want to describe the community of St John's, words that we don't want to describe our Christian lives. Rather than let us pay closer attention to what we have heard. Let us hold fast to our confession, to what we know to be true about Jesus. And let's hold on to our confidence about the promise of his word and the future. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Father, thank you for your word of promise. Thank you for all that we can know about the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. Please help us to pay closer attention to that word. and We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Our uh, final song together this morning uh, recognises our weakness in face of the uh, challenges that uh, lie before us. But we are called as God's church to arise and to follow him.